All right. Well, hey, listen, uh, why don't you guys go ahead and find your seats. My name is Jeff Baker. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. If you are a guest with us, I really want to say thanks for coming out today. I know that we have some new faces that are uh, in our auditorium today for our nine o'clock service, uh, which, by the way, obviously, the nine o'clock people can be some of the best people. Am I talking to the best people? You guys are the people that wake up early in the morning. You guys are the people that you see the sunrise, right? Um, you're the kind of people that get the fresh donuts uh, out in the lobby. You are the ones who get the coffee before it runs out, right? You guys are the first ones that get to give in the morning. And notice that things start to decline as I get farther into this, right? You're the first ones. You're the first ones to get to see me. Um, all right, I get, to, I, I get to be one of the first people that gets to see you. Yay! All right, okay, that's enough of that. All right. <clears throat> um, no, but I am glad you guys are here. Thanks for coming. If, uh, if you are a guest with us, then uh, please know that we don't always play Indiana Jones music to kick off our worship service. But it is fitting for the current teaching series entitled Relics. And we are on a quest. We're on an archaeological, a spiritual archaeological dig to find the truth behind some of these ancient relics that you and me are probably never going to find, but we can still find the power of them. And so that's kind of the journey that we've been on. We've talked about a few different things. We talked about the crown of thorns. We talked about the manuscripts that actually helped, helped, helped us to you know, formulate the Bible that we have today. We talked last week about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, what a amazingly cool relic um, that... You can still find the power of God's presence today. And today we get to talk about the whip. Right, right. You're like, wow, what's, what's the story? What's the story with the whip? Well, I'll, I'll clue you in on all of that stuff coming up here today. But the whip, right? And in light of Indiana Jones, he had a completely different whip than this. He had a big bull whip and he wore it right here. It's not, it's not something that's quite in fashion these days to do. I wouldn't recommend it, but Wow, he could do some really cool things with that, uh, with that whip. You remember what, you remember some of the things he could do with it? I mean, he was, he wanted to get across a chasm, and so he takes the whip and he, he puts it up against a, a pole that's laying across there and he swings across as if that's even physically possible. Trust me, I read about it this week. It's not possible. All right? <laughs> Just telling you. All right? You don't want to even, you don't want me to even tell you all the things that really happened. It will let you down. All right? So, he did that. One time he was down in this kind of a chasm. He was falling. And he takes the whip and he throws it up. And he, he just, you know, blindly hooks something so tight that he pulls himself back up out of this pit. He used the whip to fend off enemies that were coming. I mean, he knew how to make the thing work. And the whip itself is a pretty intimidating device. You know? The whole whip part of it, the part where it breaks the sound barrier and it makes this crash, it gets people's attention. In fact, that sound is used in disciplining animals and unfortunately in the past, even disciplining humans. The sound of that whip caused fear and caused people to go, I don't want that used against me. Well, there's a whip that is powerful. A whip that was used over 2,000 years ago on the life on the physical body of Jesus. And this whip that was used on the physical body of Jesus was one that would bring a power to us that we may, we may not have understood until after his 
crucifixion on the cross. This whip that was used on Jesus was a whip that brought severe pain and severe punishment to his body. It was a pain that Jesus knew that was coming. In Matthew chapter 20, it's one of the places where Jesus prophesies to his disciples and he says to them that shortly I'm going to be turned over and I get turned over to the enemy, to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to beat me and they're going to flog me. Jesus knew exactly what it meant when he said they're going to beat me and they're going to flog me. And after being arrested, the religious leaders, they were so mad that they wanted, they wanted Jesus punished in some kind of fashion, in some kind of way. So the government, the government took Jesus because they couldn't find any fault in him. They took him and they took him to a place. They tied him to a flogging pole and they began to whip him. And what you need to know about ancient times, Bible times, is that there was two different types of whipping. There was actually the church who, who flogged people. How, how would you like to go back to a, time era like that the church actually flogged people they would tie them to a flogging pole and they would whip them with something that may actually look similar to this with pieces of leather that have nothing tied to the end of them it's just it's meant to be an embarrassment it's meant to leave a couple of marks um and but it's not necessarily meant to bring anyone close to death and it wasn't meant to bring anyone um, you know, to any kind of severe, life-threatening type of pain. They followed the old, uh, ancient laws that Moses had established on the, uh, the whipping of someone where it wasn't lawful to whip someone over 40 times in that synagogue. So they would whip them 39 times just in case they forgot and they counted wrong. But this kind of flogging that Jesus went through wasn't done with, uh, with a device like this. The kind of flogging that Jesus went through was quite different than that. And in John chapter 19, verse 1, the prophecy of Jesus that he foretold came to be when it says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. It wasn't a whip like this. It didn't just have leather on it. It was, it was referred to as a lead-tipped whip. Now, Pilate had Jesus whipped. He didn't see any fault with him. He wanted to try to appease the crowd of people that were chanting, you know, kill him, crucify him. You know, he's, he's a mocker. He calls himself the son of God. And Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. So he wanted to try to let him go, but the people wouldn't let him. So he sent him away to be flogged by the Romans and by the Roman soldiers. Only so that he could bring Jesus back and present him before the people, badly beaten, his beard ripped out you know, mocked, stood before the people, he would have been a bloody pulp of a mess standing before them so that the people might go, oh, okay, well, that's enough. Yeah, let him go. You, you pretty much did everything we wanted to. But that's, that's not what happened for Jesus. We all know that today, and it couldn't happen for Jesus. Jesus' ultimate destiny was the cross. And so the Pharisees stood out there with their, their paid people, standing in the crowd, and the Pharisees started yelling, crucify him, even after he had been beaten to a bloody pulp with a whip that was made with lead tips. See, the flogging, actually, that the Romans did was pretty normal. They would, they would flog with these lead-tipped whips before crucifixion because it actually would speed the crucifixion 
process up. It would weaken the physical body. It would cause massive amounts of blood loss. And many people died just in the flogging before they ever got to the, to, to the cross. And there was no mercy shown, no mercy shown when it came to the Roman flogging versus the flogging that happened in the church. When it came to the Roman flogging, there was no number. There was no mysterious 40 number. They just beat you and they beat you and they beat you until they determined, I think I've got them right to the edge of death. Now let's go and let's finish the process called crucifixion. This is what Jesus knew when he said I was going to be beaten by the Gentile and I was going to be flogged by the Gentile. He realized that way before the cross that you and me, you and me as a Christian, we put a lot of emphasis on the cross. But the real punishment The real pain, the real agony came from the flogging that was enveloped with a whip just like this. Jesus, he would have been taken and stripped naked and tied to a flogging pole out in the public. He would have been tied with his hands, normally in a low kind of a position like this. And then the two the two Roman soldiers would be off to both sides, kind of like this. And then they would, as they brought the whip, it would literally, it would wrap around his flesh. And because of the lead tips in the end and other devices that were put into the ends of it, they would just literally just begin to whip, whip him and just pull flesh right off of his body. What was the whip like that they used? Well, the whip, the whip would have been a device that probably had leather in it that would be spiraled or twisted together to make probably three large hefty hefty strands to it and then in the midst of that braiding process as they put those things together they would have braided right into it towards the end um, sheep bone that would have been filed so that it would be razor sharp and then they would at the very end they would take lead balls or some kind of lead device and they would wrap that into it and twine it all into it and you would have these three massive strands with these sharp bone-like figures in it and this lead in it so that it increased the the head speed of the whip but so that the lead would also beat down the flesh while the bone cut into the flesh and jesus would be whipped over and over and over again whipping whipping him to a point where his flesh would literally be pulled right off of his body. Many times they whipped people so so badly that livers and spleens would be cut and sliced right open. That as the whip went and it wrapped around to the front side, that as it pulled flesh and it ripped through the muscle over time, that even bowels would fall from a person because they were whipped so profusely and so badly. That as they were bound to this flogging pole, the whip would come around the neck and it would grab a hold of the face and would rip flesh off the face. And it would grab a hold of the thigh and down into the calves and the whole back of a person and the front of a person would just be a, a bloody mess. This, this is what Jesus went through. This type of a whip that wrapped around him that caused this type of a excruciating pain turned him into this bloody pulp of a mess of a human being that was unrecognizable, that as he stood before his own people that he came to minister to, that they still yelled out, crucify him, crucify him, even after all of that. This beating, though, this beating is probably why Jesus wasn't even able to carry his own cross up to the hill to be crucified. Because he had, he had been so deprived of liquid 
He had been so dehydrated, so weakened by the, the foulness of this whip that he just would collapse and someone would have to carry his whip. So where, where do you find the whip that, that lashed Jesus? Well, that's a hard thing. Where is this whip at? This whip was probably grabbed a hold of by some Christian somewhere along the way, thrown into a fire while they danced around and said, thankfully, that wicked instrument is gone. You can't imagine anyone wanting to keep an instrument of such pain and such brutality. You can only imagine that Christians probably just wanted to destroy the thing. Anybody that was a Christ follower would love to get their hands on it and reuse it back on a Roman soldier if possible. There is no one that's ever searched for that I'm aware of, any research that I can do that says we know exactly where this thing is or anyone that even claims to know where it is. There is no church anywhere that I could find that says, "Uh, we have the whip, come here, check it out, it's in our requiem. No, I couldn't find anything like that. But the flogging pole is a whole other story. There is a church that's in Rome called the Church of Praxed that says we've got the flogging pole. But uh, however, historians look at it and they say, well, I don't, I'm not really quite sure that you really have the flogging pole. It, it really is way too nice of a device. Um, it, it's really, it's made out of white marble with these black streaks through it. They said, no, that's probably not the type of flogging pole that was used for Jesus. More likely, the real flogging pole happens to possibly be in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And there they have a a, a, a short stacked kind of a rounded, sculpted, marble device that's there that they say, that's more like what the flogging pole would have been like. Something that was short, that they would have been strapped to, that they would have had to have been put over like that to, uh, to cause the whipping to even be greater than what it would have been otherwise. But there is nowhere that you can find this. But what is the power of the whip, though? Because there is a power of this whip. The whip itself obviously has no power. It has no power, Right? But it's the actions that were caused by this kind of a whip that have an unstoppable, unprecedented power. It's talked about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Take a look at what the power of this whipping process brought. It says that he, being Jesus, he personally, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to the sin and, and live for what is right. By his wounds or by his stripes, you are healed. This is Peter writing about Jesus. Peter's proclaiming. He's saying, I know the one who gave his life on the cross. And I'm telling you, let's go back before the cross and let's go to this moment of flogging. And I'm telling you, the pain and the struggle that he went through to abandon himself, to give himself over to the the Romans, to the Gentiles, to follow up God, to be obedient to his Father, by those stripes you can be healed. Because it's about the surrender of Jesus. It wasn't just about the stripes that were caused by the whip. It's about the heart. It's about the surrender to the Father. It's about knowing as he, as he bows down in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray that sweat turns into blood. And physically we know that that's possible now, that it turns into blood out of such great stress, knowing what he was going to face. And it wasn't just the nailing to a cross. It's the brutality that would come from the whip. And it's through that surrender and Jesus being righteous and holy that he conquers death, hell, and the grave and he gives the authority that by his stripes, you and me can say, 
Let's pray and trust God for healing. Peter knew this from personal experience, but he was also requoting prophecy that came out of Isaiah. Take a look at these passages in Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he, again, prophetically talking about Jesus, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed, right, for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be what? Whipped so that we could be healed. The power of the flogging that Jesus surrendered to is a beautiful display of his amazing love for you and me today. You need to know, as he took every single one of those lashes, of which we're not really sure how many he took, but as he took all of those lashes over and over again, beaten to a point near death, that he did that with a love for humanity, you and me, to come. That's amazing. His ability to surrender to that, his his ability to be humbled to his Father, only points to his holiness. But just like the body of Jesus was healed through the resurrection, which we're going to talk about on Easter, we're going to talk about the shroud and the power of the resurrection, that just like the body of Jesus was completely healed through the resurrection, so you and me can believe God for healing in our own lives. So how do we experience then the power of healing today that comes through the power displayed through that whip? How do we experience the power of healing today? First, you, gotta, you must do this. First, we must believe, that Christ, believe in Christ by faith. How are you going to experience healing in your life if you're not even willing to believe in the one who paid the price that by his own stripes you can be healed? So you have to first, if you're here today and you're, and you're in need of healing in any aspect of your body, which I'll talk about in just a second, make it more broad than just physical healing, you have to first believe in Christ by faith. Secondly, we must value the gift of Christ with gratitude. Secondly, you have to come and you have to realize the ramifications of this amazing gift that Jesus gave us. This amazing gift of eternal life through Christ that we can have with God the Father because of his willingness to surrender himself, knowing what he was going to face, the brutality of what he was going to face. And we have to come to him with gratitude in our hearts going, wow, I'm overwhelmed with the fact that without you surrendering yourself and going through something as brutal as that, I don't get to stand here and have relationship with with the Father. I have no hope of eternity with God through Christ. But Jesus, thank you for what you've done. How do you experience the power of healing? Thirdly, you must align yourself with the Word of God in lifestyle. You've got to bring your life and you've got to say, God, I want my life to be aligned with your Word in my lifestyle. I know, God, that, yeah, you know what? There's some things in my life that they aren't honoring you, but I want my life to honor you. How do you walk up to the man, Jesus, who went through such brutality and say to him, look him in the eye and go, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, but I want you to heal me. It doesn't work that way. That's not, that's not what Christianity is. That's not what biblical living is. Biblical living is, how, does, how can my life line up with your word? Now I come to him and he goes, I give my life for you. Man, I want, I want the power, I want the power of of my life to be displayed in you and through you. So there's three areas that we should be seeking healing in. 
three areas. The first one that I want to take you to is the Spirit. The Spirit, experiencing the healing from our sin. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what? Healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. We find the healing of our sins by asking, watch this, asking for forgiveness from those that we've sinned against. That's one way. If you sin against someone, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your boss, a neighbor or a family member. Confess your sins one to another, and then there's healing that can be found in that. Have you ever gone up to someone and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that, I know I hurt you. And what happened with the relationship after that? Wasn't there some kind of a healing that began to take place? Wasn't there a relief that came off of your shoulders where your own conscience and your own mind and your sleepless nights were healed and you began to find even restoration in your own spirit? Yes, that's true. It happens. Confessing in public sin that has affected the church. This isn't necessarily something that you as a congregant has to do. This is something more as a spiritual leader. We We have to watch for our lives. That if we do things... If we act in such a way that has a, has an effect on the integrity of the church of Jesus Christ, part of my responsibility should be confessing that sin in some sort of a public manner. Because if I did something in public that offends the cause of the church of Jesus Christ, then as a spiritual leader, I'm probably going to need to stand up and own that. That's the way that we're going to heal the, the, the or heal the offense of the church and keep moving forward. But if I just say, no, it's not worth it, I don't need to do that, and I get prideful and I keep it to myself, then those things act like a cancer inside of the church and they end up destroying it. We also need to confess life-controlling sin to someone that's close to you so you can find support. Some of you, you, you're confessing sin to God, but your lifestyle isn't changing. And what you need is you need to go to someone that you can trust, like a life group leader or accountability partner or someone that loves you closely and confess that life-controlling sin to them. And guess what will happen for you? You'll no longer be on the island by yourself. You'll get off of the island by yourself. You'll open yourself up to others and you'll say, I need help. I'm in deep with this life-controlling thing, and I want my life to honor God, but somehow, some way, it's like I can't hardly control myself. Will you help me? Will you be someone I can call? Will you be someone that will ask me the tough questions? You know, someone like that. And then through that process, you can find the healing from your sin. So confessing life-controlling sin, confess sin to someone close when you doubt God's forgiveness. Wow, if I dealt with this often, people... People that think, how could God ever forgive me? Look at what I've done. I know God's a graceful God. I know that God is a God who loves us. But how can God really truly forgive me? Look at the junk of my past. Sometimes going to another brother or sister, confessing that very thing to them, allows them to now speak back into your life biblical truth. I know that if you come to me, I'm going to help you understand what grace is. I'm going to help you understand what God's true heart is. I'm going to help you try to break down those lies that are crippling you, that are holding you like a, 
like a thief. They're stole from you peace and joy. And I want to help you understand again what it means to have real relationship with God because when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he gave his life on the cross for all sin, not just some sin. And he gave his life on the cross for all of humanity, not just some of humanity. And some of you, you're bound by your unwillingness to even understand or give yourself over to God's amazing grace to truly forgive you so you hold yourself captive by your own sin. And one of the ways you're going to find freedom is when you confess that sin one to another and you let another brother or sister really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand what true biblical living looks like. And ultimately, confessing our sin to God brings healing. There's no other way to find freedom from your sin than to bring it to God. That's why, I, that's why I constantly say, these altars are the altars of the hungry. They're, the, they're for people that are hungry to have their life look more like God. And that means there's a lot of surrender that happens at these altars. There's a lot of humility that happens at these altars. There's a, there's a lot of just laying our lives down and saying, I want all of me to worship and to serve you. So ultimately, confessing your sin to God is where true healing begins. It doesn't, it doesn't start with just confessing to one another. It first starts with confessing to God because He's the one that by His stripes will allow you to be healed from the curse of your sin. That's where it starts. And can I also add that the greatest miracle that you and me are ever, ever, ever going to experience is the healing from the curse of your sin. It's the greatest miracle you're ever gonna, you're ever gonna experience. And it's, it's so powerful and so great, but yet we, we make it so small. That you are even here today. And that you're exploring and seeking God. And if you've come to the place where you've surrendered your life to, to Jesus Christ, you've experienced one of the greatest miracles humanity will ever see. And that is the curse of your sin was broken. And if you're here today and you've yet to give your life to Christ, you're getting ready for one of the most powerful miracles you'll ever experience in all of your life. And that is by the curse of your sin being broken and that you having relationship with God the Father. That's a healing that every believer has experienced. So if you ever say, I've never experienced God's healing, phooey, <laughs> that's not right. That, that's a lie. You've experienced the healing of your sin and the curse of your sin being broken. Right on? All right, so that's good news. That's good news. The second area, though, is your soul. An experience in the healing of your mind and your emotions and your will. Look at what Psalms 34 has to say. It says that the Lord is close to the who? The brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. These soul wounds that cause this brokenheartedness. Things like trust issues where you have a hard time trusting someone because someone else really, really did you wrong. Some of you have been down that road and you know it. Others of you, it's the pain of loss where you've lost something or someone. And so now the the pain of losing another person or losing another job or losing something that was valued to you, it causes so much pain that it controls your life. For some of you, it's just the feeling of being defeated or depressed. Those feelings and that sensation, it just overwhelms you. It overwhelms you to the point where it controls you and it dominates you. Or fears, or even arrogance. See, soul wounds can be all over the board. 
But basically what they are are their walls that are, that you will, that you build up to protect yourself from future pain, right? Or to hide who you really are. Those are what soul wounds are. Soul wounds protect you from your, they build up walls to protect you from your pain and to present a different mask to the rest of the world so that people will see you the way you want them to see you. But we need to find healing from these things. And part of the whipping process of Christ and the power that came from that to heal us by His stripes were healed, your soul wounds can be healed as well. But to find healing, to find healing, we look back at that Psalms 34 verse. And basically, if God promises to be close to the brokenhearted, then you, you need to push close to God. That's what the verse said. That God promises to be close to the brokenhearted. And if He promises to do that, then why run from Him? Why take your soul wound and run away from Him and just go, I'm going to hang on to this thing for myself and I'm just going to take care of it myself. This, my mind, will, my emotions, whatever it is, I, I'm going to use this and I, I'm going to make life more comfortable for me and I'm going to charge out and I'm going to present to the world the way I want to. And you carry this weight the entire time. Why do that when God says that He wants to press close to or He promises to be close to the brokenhearted? Why run from Him? Run towards Him. How do you do that? Bring each memory that causes you pain to Him. Every memory of the past, every emotion of the past that is that wall that tries to keep you from future pain, you bring those things to Him piece after piece, moment after moment. As they come, you give them to God. You don't act like a bank where you store up and you store up past hurt and past pain to the moment where you can't contain it anymore and you just become the gusher. That means you're the one carrying it around. God wants to be close to you and He wants to bind up. He wants to protect. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. So as one memory comes, you race it and you give it to God. You take your current pain and you bring it to God. And if God promises in that same verse to rescue those whose spirits are crushed, then you must allow God to rescue you. So the verse said that God promises to protect or to encourage or to rescue those whose spirits are crushed. Allow Him to rescue you. I heard this story about a man who was caught in a flood. It's more like a joke, but regardless. He's caught in a flood, so he climbs to the top of his roof, and he stands on his roof, and he begins to pray. God, rescue me from this flood! Well, right then, a man in a boat comes by. And he shouts up to the man on his roof. He goes, come on, sir, climb down. Get in the boat with me. I'm going to take you and rescue you. And he goes, no, I'm waiting for God to provide a miracle. The waters rise. Now the waters have covered his entire house. And the water is at his feet. And another man's boat comes by. And he goes, sir, what are you standing on? He goes, I'm standing on the roof of my house. He goes, well, jump in the boat. The water's coming. It's going to take you away. He goes, no, I'm trusting in a miracle from God. So the boat goes. Now the water rises up to the man's chest and he's hanging on to his own chimney. And a boat comes by and he goes, Sir, hop in the boat. Come on. You don't have much more time. He goes, No, I waited on God to rescue me. So he leaves. And now the water's up by his chin and a helicopter comes. And they go, they drop down a rope. Sir, grab a hold of the rope. We're going to pull you up. And with gargly voice, with water in his mouth, he goes, No, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on a miracle. Well, the man dies and he goes to heaven. He stands there and he asks the angel, I'm so disappointed. I can't believe this. Why? I trusted in God. I had faith to believe that God would, he would rescue me. Why didn't God rescue me? And the angel kind of 
chuckled and said, I sent you three boats and a helicopter. Many times, God wants to rescue us. We got our own little idea of how it has to happen. And the whole time, God wants to rescue those who have been crushed. And our, our objective is to take his lifeline, which is to come, run to him, lay our lives down, bring our soul wounds and lay them down to him and let them be healed. Soul wounds, though, are an interesting thing to deal with. I dealt with some severe soul wounds about 17 years ago when I arrived at this church from Alaska. They were so severe that it, it took me a number of months to even realize that I had them, that I, that I would admit that I had them, and then to start dealing with them. I remember the first, the first day I started dealing with these massive, painful soul wounds, I came down and I knelt down at that very altar right there, and I began to pray, and I was just broken, like a, like a glass vase got broken, and all the liquid began to pour out. And it was so refreshing. And I felt so free, and I felt like God really broke through this hard-cased shell of a man, and he got a hold of me, and I wept like a baby, and I felt so refreshed after that. Man, I just remember like feeling like I'm on cloud nine, like that soul wound was healed, that offense of the past and that pain of, those, of that loss, um, and all of those things were finally healed. And then only to discover maybe about 15 days later, the same old nasty emotions started rising back up in me again. And I, I started to get a little torqued like at God, like what in the world? What's up with this? And then I discovered that over the next year, there was a process of that soul wound finally becoming something that was healed and whole in me. So what you need to know about these soul wounds is that they don't just, they aren't always just healed at one, one big moment. They take time. And that means you have to keep running back to the one who by his stripes we are healed. You keep running back to Jesus. I kept running back into an altar like this and kneeling down and saying, God, I don't know where those emotions came from. I don't know where those thoughts came from, but those are definitely not from you. God, I believe that you've touched my life. I believe that you healed me. I'm going to keep running back to you and let you have your way in me. And I want to encourage you to do the very same thing. Now lastly, though, is the body. Experiencing the healing in our physical bodies. This is probably the most thought of when we talk about the word healing. But can you see right now how the other two are the most common? The healing of our sin and the healing, the healing of our soul wounds are some of the most common healing you and me are ever going to experience. But lastly, there really is this healing of the physical body. James chapter 5 says this to us about the healing of the physical body. He says, are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. You know, we believe in healing today. Here at New Life, we believe that by the power of God's Spirit and the stripes that were bore by Christ, that we shouldn't deny that, but that we should believe God to touch our bodies and to heal us. I personally have experienced physical healing. I've been, I've had a privilege of praying for people, like a man in Romania. I've told you these stories, but I'll tell you quickly. A man in Romania that had a metal sliver in his eye from work that day, a patch on it, and he pulled it up. It was just a bloody mess. And we, and I asked him, can I pray for you? I prayed for him. And that bloody mess that had that piece of metal still lodged in there, because he had not gone to a doctor, he pulled the patch back up. It was pure. And it was clear. And it was white. 
and it was completely healed. A miracle right before my eyes. Or the little boy down in Mexico who I prayed for. I told you this, and he, as I prayed for him, all of a sudden he just looks up at me with this really weird look, and he just takes off running. If you remember that story? He just takes off running. And as we're packing everything up, this big group of people are coming down this dirt street, and I'm wondering to myself, is this the day that we're going to get beat up, robbed, mugged, or whatever? But it was the family with this little boy coming back to let us know. This little boy of ours has never been able to hear. And the reason why he looked up at you weird and he took off running is because he's never heard before. And he ran home to tell his parents what had happened, standing on the soccer field after this outreach presentation and the power of God moving. But by his stripes, that little boy was healed. So we believe in faithful prayer, coupled with God's will, releases the power of healing. That we need, we need to turn, turn to God first. We gotta humble ourselves enough to ask Him. Many times we don't even ask. That's why we don't experience it today. Many times we just take care of things on our own. We run to Walgreens or Walmart or to the pharmacy or to the doctor, whatever. And we don't even think about praying before we go. Now, if you're in a big bad situation, you're getting ready for surgery, then you'll pray. But many times there's not prayer along the way. I'm not saying don't go to Walgreens or Walmart or the pharmacy or the doctor. I'm just saying, how about pray even while you're en route? Or how about pray before you even go? How about pray and then go and trust God to work his healing power in you, whether it's miraculous or it's through the wisdom that he's provided in our medical industry. It doesn't matter to me. I believe God uses all of those pieces to heal us. So today, my final thoughts to you are this. In what way do you need the power of the whip in your life? In what way do you need God to heal you today? Is it in that spirit where sins need to be crushed? The curse of it needs to be broken. Is it soul and a more soulish wound that's being, it's festering in you? And it's just destroying your thought process. It's destroying your will to be more like Christ. Is, or is it a physical need that you have? And what I'm going to do is, as the worship team comes in just a moment when I pray, my wife and I will be standing right down here, and if you want us to pray for you, I'll pray for you. It doesn't matter. Any of those three areas. If you just want to come and you want to kneel down at this altar, and you would say, God, heal me from the sin that's, that's cursed against my life. Heal me from that. Then you come and you do that. If you want to bring that soul wound before God and you want to stand there and worship or you want to come like a hungry person would come spiritually and come to an altar and kneel, your, kneel down and just say, God, heal me from this past pain or this past hurt or this past loss or this past fear or this past arrogance or whatever it might be, then you come and you do that. Trust God today. If it's a physical need in your body, then, then come as well. I'm also going to have uh, Clint and Timmarie I'm going to have you guys helping me today, right? Good. Glad. I'm glad. That's why you're here. Good. These guys, I'm just going to have them stand right over here in the corner. They're going to be standing right there in the pew, you know, just facing forward like, like you would. And if you want them to pray for you, then just, just go to them and pray for them. If you're a life group leader in here and you know that someone in your life group is in need of prayer, of healing in any one of those three areas, I want to encourage you as a life group while we worship today, get together with people in your life group and pray for them. Pray the prayer of faith in the name of Jesus and leave it in God's hands. You go, well, I've prayed before and I haven't seen anything. Oh, yeah? You don't know everything. You don't know everything that's at work. You don't know the sovereignty of God. You don't know the ultimate plan of God. 
Our job is just to pray the prayer of faith and to leave it in the hands of God and to trust Him to do the rest. By His stripes. And may I mention, they were brutal. This wasn't some spanking that I got as a kid. This is brutal. By the surrendering to those brutal whips that came from that flogging, you and me can stand before a powerful God and say, God, I need healed in my spirit, in my soul, or in my body. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we come before you today, we know that you are all-powerful, and you are almighty, and that Jesus, you are God's only Son who came and you gave your, your life, knowing that when you came, you would be flogged, you would be beaten, you would be mocked, and ultimately, you would give your life on a cross so that our sins might be healed, so that our soul that you gave us might be pure, and it might look more like you. It might, our minds might think more like you. Our will, it might act more like you. Our emotions, they might feel more like you. And Lord, you gave us these frail bodies that break down over time. We put a lot of hope in these frail bodies. We put a lot of finance and a lot of energy and put a lot of things into these frail bodies. And sometimes we overexpect from them. God, you even said in your word that these frail bodies that are meant to break down over time and dispose of, that, Lord, you care enough even about humanity that, Lord, you even heal those things. Even though the body itself doesn't live on, the spirit of a man does. You loved us enough that you allowed yourself to be chained to that flogging pole and to be beat over and over and over again by your stripes and through the power of that whip we might be able to turn to a loving God and say God heal us heal us and set us free so that's what we choose to do so we're going to run to you and we're going to ask you to heal us in Jesus name Fullness of life